Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. Hey, church. It's good to be here with you. Um, I'm going to... Hey, Jesse, before you get too comfortable, I think the sound is off on the live stream, too. So we should go check into that. So, hey, if you're joining us on the live stream, it's great to see you. I'm glad you're with us. Um, it started late, too, because we didn't switch the time over. We checked every box except that one. So for that, we're sorry. Uh, we'll put the full service up here by the end of the day. It'll be available for you. But we're glad you're joining us because I noticed the stream went live uh, just a few minutes ago. So hopefully you can hear some of this uh, as we go. Anyways, a lot of things going on this week. VBS school starting back. It's pretty exciting. We're in the middle of a series about pursuing God's best for us. Uh, we're looking at the life of David. He's listed in Scripture as a man after God's own heart, as a man who wholeheartedly pursued God's best. And so we're looking to his life as an example for us on how we might be able to pursue God's best in our life. And so we started uh, and we looked at the call of David. This was about three weeks ago. And we saw how David was invited by God to, to level up. You know, he invited David to come from the sheep pen and go to the palace. He said, I, I want you to, to, to not just shepherd these sheep, but to be the king of the entire nation of Israel. I want you to, to shepherd my, my people. And so God calls David to that. God does that frequently for all of us. You know, he calls us right where we are. But he always calls us to more. You know, he calls the disciples. He says, you've been fishing for a long time, but now I want you to fish for people. I want you to come up and do some kingdom things. And that's what God invites us to do. We saw in the next week that what it was that made David so successful in this and what, what really set David apart, this X factor that he had, was his faith. David's faith was amazing. It, it kept him humble because he knew his strength and his courage and all these things came from God. And so he depended on God for all of that. And that's, I think, really what set David apart. Uh, last week, we looked at how uh, God, uh, he has to shape us. We aren't the people that we're going to be yet. God is molding us and changing us. And, and sometimes it's through really difficult circumstances. And it's hard and it's difficult. Uh, but God is, is shaping us into the people that he's calling us to be. And so if you're here this morning and you're going through a difficult time, uh, I'm not saying God sent that to you. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is that if you surrender those difficult things to God, that you'll find that he can use those for amazing, amazing things. Today, I want to look at how we see that, that um, coming into this life that God has for us, it's a team sport. It's a team effort. You know, nobody becomes who God is calling them to be alone. Uh, we need help. And so I want to look at a text this morning where David learns the hard way that uh, doing, you know, doing the, the life of faith and pursuing after God is something that we do together. 
Uh, it's not a self-study course. I know that it's popular in today's time and, and culture and in our thinking to say, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious. You know, I follow Jesus, but I'm not interested in the church. Uh, that, that really doesn't work. Uh, we need the church. We need each other to grow in our faith. And so it's important that we stay connected. All right, I want to look at this, this story here because David learns, again, the hard way how we really need some help. Now, I want to fast forward because we're, we're fast forwarding from, from last week, a, a couple years. David last week was hiding from King Saul. David was not king. He was, uh, you know, anointed by God to be king, but Saul hadn't got that memo, or if he had, he was ignoring it. And so David is running for his life. Uh, today, we fast forward to a time when David is king. Uh, Saul dies in battle, not by David's hand, but by some uh, foreign army. Uh, Saul dies. Uh, David becomes king. David is now a king in the city of Jerusalem. His throne is established. He has relative peace in his kingdom. And it's here that he decides he wants to sort of bring everything together, and he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant. This is this, um, it's, I think of it as God's like RV. Um, God used it to get through the wilderness um, with the people of Israel, and they carried it around, and wherever they went, you know, the Ark of the Covenant would stop, and that was, you know, the place that God was resting. And this, this was symbolic in the nation of Israel. Uh, they, they, they viewed this as the very symbol of God's presence. And so David wants to bring that Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence, into Jerusalem, uh, and eventually he's going to want to build a temple for it, so that way it's kind of all there in one city. And this is uh, take one on David trying to bring the ark up. So here we go, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 3. It says, They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, everybody knows where that is. <laughs> Nobody knows where that is. Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. There you go. That's the story. This is a hard truth for us to process on this side of the cross. Because here you've got these people, it seems like they're trying to do what they can to bring the Ark of the Covenant up. And Uzzah reaches out, he sees that the Ark gets a little wobbly, and he throws his hand on it, and then he dies just right there. And we kind of go, wow, we're glad we live in grace. I don't know about you, but like, I'm clumsy. If, like, if I had been involved, it would have said something like, Wesson tripped over his feet. And he reached out, grabbed a hold of the ark, the, the, the cart and everything, and then the ark fell on top of him. He died, and then everybody, you know, was mad at him because he ruined the whole thing. This would be my story. Um, but, you know, this is not the case on this side of the cross. Things are a little more gracious. And so we read these kinds of texts, and we go, well, what, what's going on here? You know, what's happening? It's important that we sort of put ourselves back in this time. Uh, here, here's the thing about the Old Testament. This is the way we need to understand everything in the Old Testament, everything before the Gospels, uh, is that it was there to prepare us for Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that the law was a disciplinarian or a tutor uh, that got us ready, that taught us the lessons we needed to know before we would be ready to receive Jesus Christ and his message. 
And so what are the lessons that the Old Testament teaches us? I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this over the years, and I really think that there's three key lessons that the law taught us. Uh, we could probably come up with more, but there's three central, three central lessons we all need to know. The first is this, is that God is perfect. The second lesson is that we are not perfect. And the third lesson is that we require help. We all require help. This is, I think, the hardest one for us to like internalize. So maybe just to help us get to the place where we might have learned these Old Testament lessons, let's just collectively say, I need help. Let's just go ahead and get in the habit of saying it. Let's just say, I need help. Yeah, I need help. You need help. Uh, some of us need more help than others, uh, but we all need help. These are the lessons of the Old Testament. And if you kind of hold these three truths in mind and you go back and you look at the, the Old Testament, I think that you can sort of piece together what is the message here. Well, I think it is fairly easy in this instance. Uh, Uzzah is not perfect. God is. And they have a collision. And Uzzah doesn't win. Now, I know for a lot of us, we think, man, that just doesn't seem like right. Well, here's the thing. Everybody knew you don't touch the ark. Everybody knew. Uh, as a matter of fact, you weren't even supposed to look at the ark. The, the ark shouldn't have even been on a cart. God had told in the law, like in Genesis, I'm sorry, you get up to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you get those books of the law. Uh, they'll put you to sleep if you read them. But in there are very specific rules. When you move the ark, you put a, you put a cover over it. When you move the ark, you have you know, some guys carrying it on a pole so that way you don't have this situation where it's going to slide off a cart. It, there's a very specific instructions, and God did this because he's perfect and we're not. And so he had the priests carry the ark because we need help. That's what we need. We all need some help. And so here, Uzzah disregards this. David disregards his teaching and says, you know what, we're going to do it our way. You know, we're going to put it on a new cart. This is kind of the ancient equivalent of, you know, having the, you know, whatever you want sitting on the back of a Corvette, you know. Um, this is the Corvette. It's a Corvette cart. It's very nice. It's all the latest, you know, bells and whistles in this thing. And he thinks, man, God wants to ride in this. But God has said, no, that's not how we're going to do it. I want you to carry it. I want it to be covered because this symbolizes my very presence. And you just don't reach out and touch it. Now, I know in the spiritual world, we sort of have this disconnect, but in some ways, I think it's like trying to touch the sun. Uh, I'm, I'm not an astrophysicist, not that any of you had confused me for that, but um, if you were to like fly towards the sun, you would be thousands of miles away before you, know, you even vaporized. Like you wouldn't even get within orbit of the sun to like be vaporized. You couldn't touch it. You couldn't even get in the place to touch it. This is God. God is perfect. He is infinite. He's all-powerful. You don't just reach out and slap God on the back and be like, hey, buddy, what's going on? This is not okay. God is perfect. We are not. We need help. We need somebody to stand in the place of us. This is what Jesus comes to do. This is what the priests had come to do. And so Uzzah disregards this, and God visits on him just the natural consequences of what happens if you were to touch the sun. Now, if you read earlier in the text, you see that God is gracious because the Philistines, these are people who do not have God's law. They don't know the teaching of what you're supposed to do with this box. Uh, they touch the ark. They put it on a new cart and none of them die. Why is that? That's because they didn't know. You see, God is gracious towards those that do not know. God is gracious towards those that do not have his teaching and his truth. But to those of us that do, God says, listen, you know better. You know better. Uzzah did. 
He refuses to follow those rules. David refuses to follow those rules. And so we end up in this place where we see, man, God is perfect. We are not. We need some help. So David's going to try again. But this time he's going to seek some help and some counsel. I want to flip over to 1 Chronicles because here we have the same uh, story recorded for us from a little bit of a different perspective. And it's here that we read about David's second try. Let's pick up here. It says, Then David summoned Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and Uriel and Isaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, Aminadab, and the Levites. And he said to them, You are the heads of the Levitical families. These are the priests. He says, You are the priests. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. To the place I have prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. Now, they're going, yeah, we know that, David. We're the priests. We're entrusted with the law. We're entrusted with these holy things. We're supposed to be here and take the place of, of you and us and all these people, you know, that we're at risk here. And David, he knows this now. And so David brings in the priestly families and he says, listen, let's do this the right way. Here's, I think, the message for us, is that we're wiser together. So we need to ask for help and guidance. You know, we live in a time, and, and this is, I think it's a church thing, and I think it's an American thing, but we don't like to ask for help, right? You know, I, one of the things I love about my job is, is getting in touch with folks. Sometimes when things are difficult, I say, man, what can I do? What can the church do to be helpful for you? And the number one response I get is this, is, well, I don't like to ask for help. Well, yeah, I, I got that. That's why I'm not asking you to ask for help. I'm, I'm asking, we're here. We're ready to help. What can we do? Well, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to ask. But if you had that same person and they found out somebody else needed help, guess what? They'd, they'd be first in line to go help them out. Do, do you see the disconnect here? You know, it's, it's hard for us to, to want to admit that, man, we don't have it all together. You know, I, I maybe can't do everything myself, you know, uh, but we want to help others because we want to, you know, be perceived as having it all together and we've got it all together so much that, you know, we can help others, but we don't need their help. Friends, this is pride. And as Christians, I think it's so healthy for us to sort of lead with this place of saying, you know what, I, I need a little guidance. I need your perspective. Or, you know, I'm struggling with this. Could you pray for me? Or could we get together, you know, maybe sometime and, and have some lunch? Or, or, you know, I've got this thing that's going on at my house, and maybe you could, you know, maybe we could help. And, man, that's what we're here for. We're here to help each other. And it's time for us to lean on each other and say, man, I, I need some help, and I can help you. This is the community life that God wants for us. You see, God is perfect. We're not. We're always going to need some help. And one of the advantages of connecting here at church, I think, is that we, we get to meet people with different perspectives in, in people who maybe come from different life backgrounds and could give us some, some new ideas and thoughts. You know, one of David's big points of weakness in all this is, is he just asks his generals the first time. He asks people who were just like him, and he says, hey, you know, what do you think? I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about having a big parade. We're going to put the Ark of, of the Covenant on this, this cart. Man, it's going to be a big deal. And they're all like, yeah, that sounds awesome. He doesn't consult the priests. He doesn't ask the people who know. He, he just sort of wants this echo chamber for himself. And I'll tell you, I think we live in a time right now where I, I feel like this is probably an important word for us to all hear. 
I, I, for those of you that care, I normally read the BBC news. I, I like it. It seems a little less sensational. I get a little less angry when I read it, um, you know, and it's good. And so that's where I read. But, you know, the last two weeks I've been scrolling through um, CNN and Fox. And I'll tell you, it's like these are from different countries, okay? Try it this week, really. Just try it. I don't know if you're a loyal either or reader, but, but just read the other one. And you'll notice how, like, the headlines don't match up. Like, it's like they live in a different world. Like, something that happened here didn't actually happen over here. Or something that happened here didn't happen over here. And it's, I mean, we live in a place, in a time, I think, where we sort of, we can subscribe to our own media. We can subscribe to whatever we want. And we live in this echo chamber. And, and what it just does is it enforces what we already think. And it enforces uh, what we're already angry about. And, and we just kind of live in that zone. I think it's so healthy for us to have a different kind of diet and conversation with other folks. And we say, hey, listen, tell me your thoughts on this. And guess what? We don't have to agree in order to get along. You know, we don't have to conform to be united. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. I believe very firmly in what Proverbs 15, 22 tells us, that plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now, this is true, friends. The more people that we can ask for their guidance and wisdom... Uh, the better off we are. So David is humiliated. Uh, Uzzah is dead. That was inconvenient. Yeah, I thought just this week, this is how my ADD mind works. You know, like, like I imagine, I, I, you know, I don't know this, but I think Uzzah makes it to heaven. And so, like, he's struck dead by God, and then he, like, shows up right there at, like, the heavenly gate. Like, what do you say at that point? I mean, he knew. Does he just sort of say, yeah, it was my bad. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just wonder. Anyways, that's for free. Uh, I can't prove that from Scripture. Anyways, here we go. So David, he starts again. He tries again. And we pick it up here in 1 Samuel chapter 6. It says this. It says, Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. Uh, Obed-Edom, for those of you that don't know him, uh, he was the guy who uh, Uzzah died on his property. The parade went through Obed-Edom's place, um, Uzzah dies, and they're like, hey, Obed-Edom, see how this ark like, killed this guy? We don't want to bring it in Jerusalem. Can we leave it with you? Um, and since David's the king, Obed-Edom said, sure. Uh, put it in the barn, and that's what happens. You know, it just ends up there. Uh, the ark of God is sort of kept there, but but the presence of God is so so rich and great that it starts to bless Obed Edom, and people are taking note. And they're saying, David, man, you can't leave this with that guy. You need to bring it with you. And so David, becoming courageous by all of this counsel, decides, let's try again. Here's another truth for us: not only are we wiser together, but we're more courageous together. So we've got to speak up with an encouraging word. I can't tell you how many times I have been encouraged throughout this, you know, really trying last several months by people saying, man, we really appreciate all that's going on. You know, you know, we appreciate what you're trying to do. And, and you know, we just, you know, you know, we think we're, you know, you think you're doing a good job. I mean, that just, that warms my heart. And I know you've received those kinds of messages and texts. And, and that means so much to us. You know, encouragement is like we're lending courage to each other. I was talking with a guy one time who, who worked on the SWAT team, and, and he said, you know, before they bust through a door, they all put their hands on each other's back. So that way the guy who's going first in blind doesn't know what's in there. He knows that there's a whole column of people right behind him. And he says, man, that gives you courage. Otherwise, if you, if you don't have that, he's like, nobody wants to go through there. we got to have that courage, that connection. That's what being together does. God's perfect. We're not. We need each other to encourage. We require help. I need help, and you need help. 
So let's be people that do that. Let's be people that speak up with an encouraging word and say, man, I think God's doing this in your life. And I think God might be calling you to this. And I think that you'll see amazing things happen. So David does this, and it leads to a giant party. Let's pick up here in 1 Samuel 6, verse 13 and following. It says, so David tries again. He went up to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, that's Jerusalem, with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. Man, what a party this is. Now, let's get this picture clear because this is a giant national festival. I know sometimes when we think about sacrifices, we get this idea that like the whole meat is like burnt up and it's all completely given to God. They definitely had those kinds of sacrifices. I suspect this is a sacrifice of thanksgiving, which means that when the priests who are carrying the ark of God on their shoulders, on the pole, covered the way that God told them to, when they take six steps, on that seventh step, they're having a, a cookout. In California, we call it a barbecue, but here it's a cookout. Uh, they would roast this meat, they would, they would roast the bull, they would roast the fatted calf, and they would uh, cook it there, and then what would they do? I, if it's a Thanksgiving sacrifice, like I think it probably is, they would actually share that with all the people. And so they're not just, you know, killing animals, burning them up as, as an offering. They're actually having like this grilling time right there. And so every six steps, you could just follow like, you know, the, the, the cookout all the way from Obed-Edom's house all the way to Jerusalem. And every time they took six steps, that seventh step, they're having this cookout. They're having this high, holy celebration to the Lord. And that's, I think, the third thing we've got to remember is that we celebrate better together. So we need to rejoice when God does something good. We celebrate better together. I mean, party of one is something you have just at a restaurant. Nobody's having a party by themselves. We celebrate. We want to share each other's joy. Um, I, that is so key. You know, this is one of those things. I think about, like, the way we celebrate in our own lives, and our culture. You know, you have a baby's first birthday party. That's, like, probably one of the best attended birthday parties. Guess what? It's the least remembered birthday party. You know, the kid doesn't remember that. You don't ask them later and be like, hey, do you remember how they were at your first birthday party and how they gave you that like teething ring? Wasn't that nice? I don't, I don't remember that. Why do we invite all these people to come in? It's because we celebrate better together. Our joy is too great. This morning, we're going to celebrate a baptism together. We're gonna, uh, we got Levi. We're going to baptize him. It's going to be awesome. His dad's going to do it. It's going to be an amazing thing. Why do we like to celebrate baptisms together as a church? It's because our joy is too great to keep to ourselves. We want to have that high, holy celebration together. Man, that's what God, that God wants us to have those celebrations. God wants us to celebrate the good things. And I think we've, we've come to a time and a place where we get to this point and we say, you know, I, I don't want to maybe show too much excitement. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be too, too much into it. But man, I, I don't think that's it at all. I think God says, man, give vent to your joy. Allow it to come out. Not only does it complete it and is it fun to do, but man, when we share in each other's joy, that does so much for our own souls. We don't have time to look at it, but David's wife, Mikkel, she sort of rejects this whole thing, and she doesn't get involved. She doesn't go to the party. She stays in her room. She stays at home, and it illustrates the opposite, that when we uh, disconnect from each other, we grow in skepticism, and we grow in bitterness when we disconnect from God. 
you know, think about this just real quick. I mean, if you know somebody and they have a, you know, they have a, a short word with you and they're rude, you know, what do you do? You excuse it. You say, well, I know them better than that. But if somebody you don't know has one of those words with you, what happens? You say, man, that person's a jerk. They're rude. They're a hothead. And, and you, you pass that judgment. It could be the same person. What's the difference? It's, it's the knowledge. It's knowing each other. And so as Christians, it's so important that we stay connected because that connection, that relational connection, helps us to be united when things get tough. God's perfect. We're not. We need help. We need each other. Next week, we're going to be kicking off community groups. And that's going to be an opportunity for us to all kind of say, you know what, I'm going to intentionally invest in community. This morning, what I want to do right now is we're going to take communion together. And I want to do it. I want to do it right now. I want to do it here in this moment. And so um, I want you to go ahead and take your communion out. And, and I want you to think about just the word. You know, communion, it, it, it's a common union. It's something that we all have in common, and that is Jesus Christ. And I want us to take it together this morning to symbolize how we do participate in this as one body of Christ. You know, if you think about the bread, it's, it's made up of a whole bunch of different pieces of wheat, right? They get ground together and they get put together into that bread, just like us. So many of us, so diverse, so many different people put together in one body of Christ. And so I want us to have a moment right now. I'm just gonna give you a few moments of quiet. I want you to thank Jesus for the fact that he's united us together in him, that he sent, uh, that he gave his own life so that way we could have life in him and that we could have life together. I know churches do communion a little differently. Here's how we do it. If you're part of the body of Christ, if you believe in Jesus, even if you're not a member of this church, we want you to celebrate in this with us. So have a few moments, talk to Jesus. Even if it's been a while, he'd love to hear from you. And then I'm gonna lead us in taking communion together. Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you gave your life, not just to unite us with, with the Father, but to unite us with each other. God, in this room, there's so many diverse people, and there may not be a whole lot we have in common, but what we have in common in you is greater than what keeps us separated. So Jesus, this week, help us to, to lean into you, to rely on you for the grace we need to stay united with each other and to show the world your love. We pray this in your name. We're going to sing a song of decision now and and this is kind of an opportunity for us to just commit to god and say you know this week i want to be a person who's going to work for unity i'll be somebody that's going to ask for help and give help because god's perfect we're not we all need some help uh, if this morning perhaps you want to pray I, i'm going to be sitting up here i'd love to pray with you if you've got uh, 
you want to talk about what it would mean to follow Jesus Christ, love to talk with you about that. If you're online, we'd love to hear from you. You can just message us here through Facebook and all different means. Um, but this morning, let's, let's stand, let's sing, and let's celebrate what Christ has done for us.